Well, good morning. That's a bit loud, isn't it? There we go. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe that? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And hopefully this morning, that's going to sink in. And you'll leave here with no doubt that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, why do I keep saying that line? Well, it's from a really well-known psalm. Does anybody know which psalm it's from? 139, that's right. And uh, interestingly enough, Joe was talking about people who struggle to read the Bible. If you're new to reading the Bible, I'd really recommend looking at Psalms. And they're quite easy to find if you just open your Bible into the middle. That's roughly where Psalms is. There's 150 of them in there to choose from. I would particularly recommend uh, number 23, 46, 91 that we read a lot during covid Um, There's 121 as well, and Psalm 139, which we're looking at today. And I'm sure if you asked other people in the congregation, they would have their favourite psalm that they'd like to share with you. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 139 this morning. If you want to find that in your Bible, flick to the middle of the Bible and find it. And this psalm, it's really come alive to me over the last six months. And I really love it when God reveals new things in his word. Even though I've read this psalm hundreds of times and in lots of different versions, there's something about scripture sometimes that God just reveals something brand new, even though you've read something over and over again. So this psalm was written by David, and he wrote most of the psalms. David started life as a shepherd taking care of his father's sheep, and he uh, eventually became the king of Israel. It's a really interesting story in the Bible, um, but he, he wrote most of the Psalms, and this is one of his most well-known ones that he's written. So hopefully this is going to work. So this Psalm reminds us of a few things. It reminds us that we are known, we are not alone, we are created, we are loved, we are on God's timing, and we are a work in progress. So we're going to start by looking at the first six verses. And I've actually asked different people to read out the different verses, so it's not just me talking this morning. Um, So who's got number one? It's Becca. So Pete's going to run over with the mic. So this is verses one to six. Uh, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Thank you very much. So we often play a game in school uh, with the teenagers called Two Truths and a Lie. Has anyone ever played that before or heard of that before? Andy obviously has. Um, So what we ask them to do is we ask them to come up with three statements about themselves. And uh, two of them have to be true and one of them has to be a lie. And then the rest of us have got to guess what the lie is. And so I thought we'd play around this morning. I'm not going to get everyone to do it. Um, But I've got three statements about myself and you've got to pick out what is The lie. So statement number one was that I was born in Scotland. Statement number two is I passed my driving test first time. And statement number three is I have lived in 12 houses. So, hands up if you think the lie is that I was born in Scotland. Few people. Hands up if you think the lie was that I passed my driving test first time. (laughs) 
I don't know whether to be offended by that. Um, and hands up if you think the lie is I've lived in 12 houses. Okay. Let's have a little drum roll. The lie is that I passed my driving test the first time. <laughs> Maybe you do know me better. It was second time, just to clarify, it was second time. Um, that was just a bit of a silly game. But I wonder who knows you best. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents, your brother or your sister, your best friend. Well, in this psalm, David reminds us that ultimately God knows us best, better than all of these people put together. And the first sentence of this psalm says that God has searched us and he knows us. Now, when we think about searching for something, we might think about looking for our keys that we've lost and we're looking through our pockets and looking around the house, trying to remember where, where, where we left them. But the word that's used here is much, much stronger. The Jews use this word to mean things like digging deep into a mine, investigating a legal case, exploring a land. And these things all take time and care. And this is what David is saying here that God has taken great time and care over us and examined us to such an extent that he knows us. God doesn't just know us like we might know our family and friends. He knows absolutely everything about us, even stuff that we might not know about ourselves. God of the whole universe knows you intimately. How does that feel? Verse 5 talks about God hemming us in behind and before. And in some versions, it says the words enclosed or hedged. But what does that mean? Well, God, he's not distant. Instead, he's all around us. And we can't escape him. His hand is upon us. And that might feel a bit scary and claustrophobic. And you think, oh, we can't escape God. But why would we want to? Why would we want to escape God's presence? It reminds us that he's physically with us and he protects us. So let's go on to the next section. Who's got number two? That's Richard, thank you. Verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Thank you very much. So we've established that God knows us. And here we're reminded that God never leaves us. And that's something that's actually come up this morning already, that God never leaves us. There's nowhere that God isn't. We can't escape him. God is always reaching out to us. And someone once explained to me that no matter how far we run from God, all we have to do is take, turn around and take one step back because he's followed us the whole way. He's always there. Has anyone read the story of Brother Young? A few people. I've got it here. It's called The Heavenly Man. This is a really good book if anyone would like to borrow it. Um, so Brother Yun, he was a pastor in the house church movement in China, and the government really hated it. They really hated what he was doing, and um, they threw him in prison multiple times to try and get him to renounce his faith, and they tortured him. There's some really, it's quite a graphic book. It's really horrible, the stuff that he's gone through, but he never, ever doubted God, and he never, ever renounced his faith. 
Um, and actually, what ended up happening was that his, great, his faith it grew stronger. Um, and he ended up leading loads of prisoners to the Lord in that place. And the authorities in China, they tried to shut God out, but they couldn't. God never left Brother Yun's side, and he's never going to leave your side. So if you'd like to borrow this book or look it up on Amazon or other places, then please do. It's a really good read. God's promise to never leave us. It's not just in this psalm. Uh, in Deuteronomy 31.6, Moses tells Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then God then reminds Joshua of this promise. In Joshua 1.5, God says to Joshua, No one will be able to, t- to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, my story is not as dramatic as Brother Yun's, but I remember a season in my early 20s where I felt really distant from God. And, um, and this actually lasted for quite a few months, probably three or four months, so I just felt really distant. And I kept going to church, and I was working for a Christian charity, so I had to kind of keep going through the motions, and I would lead Bible studies, but I just would feel nothing. And, uh, and that summer, I went away with some friends to a Christian camp, and, um, and I remember there was one night where praise just erupted in the main meeting, and everyone was jumping up and down, and it was just an amazing um, experience of worship. And I was just stood there thinking, I don't feel anything. Like, what, what's going on? So I sat down, um, trying not to get jumped on, <laughs> and, um, and I was going, God, where have you been in my life? Where have you been? I'm just feeling nothing here. What's going on? And I've, it's the only time I think I felt God actually audibly say something to me. And I felt he said to me, where have you been? I've been here. And it, it just struck me that I was the one that was making myself distant from God. It wasn't God that was making himself distant from me. And it was in that moment that I thought, right, I need to get back on this. You know, I need to pray. So I prayed and I was like, God, help me to reconnect with you, which he absolutely did. Um, and, uh, and I kind of got back on track with God. But it was, it was not a nice time to go through. And I wondered if maybe there were some people today who are feeling quite distant, like I was feeling. And I want to encourage you that he's there. God's there, right there with you. He's not deserted you. Um, and I just wondered if we could just pray for those people now, uh, if you're in that place. So let's just pray. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who is feeling distant from you. It feels like you're not there and they can't hear you. Lord, I pray that you'll come afresh into their life right now. Help them to reconnect. And Lord, just show them what they can do. But I pray right now that they'll leave this place with a fresh outpouring of your spirit this morning and a reconnection in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Who's got number three? Um, Verses 13 to 16. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, All the days were ordained for me and were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
Thank you. So we are created. When I last preached in October, we had a little secret. And our little secret is no longer little or a secret anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually have an app that I read once a week, which tells me what size the baby is in relation to a fruit or a vegetable. Okay. Um, so we've been through the bell pepper phase. We've been through the onion phase. Uh, this week, it's a swede. So there you go. Um, so there we are. The vegetable, not the person. It's a swede. Um, and it also, it tells me what part of the baby is developing, which has just been such a fascinating journey because I knew absolutely nothing about it. And, uh, and each week it tells me, you know, wh whether its eyes are developing or its brain is developing or its heart. And, um, and it's been incredible to go and have the scan and to see the, the blood pumping around the, the body of this baby. And it's just been incredible. Um, and it's meant that this... This psalm has just come alive in a whole new way to me. And it's definitely reminded me that God has designed each and every one of us. We're not clones. Each one of us is unique. How many people do you think there are in the world? Any guesses? Okay. Oh. Close, yep, so according to Google, it's over 7.8 billion people. And there is no one on earth that is like you out of that 7.8 billion people. Did you know that as well as your fingerprints being unique to you, so is the iris in your eye and your tongue print? I didn't even know we had a tongue print, but there are three things that make us totally unique from everybody else on this planet. And we're reminded time and time again in the Bible that all life has value. In Genesis 1.27, it says that we're created in God's image. That's everyone in the world who has ever been, everyone who is at the moment, and everyone who ever will be is created in God's image, image. Every single one of us. Nobody is left out from that. And each one of us is valuable. In fact, later in Genesis, in chapter 9, it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood be shed. For in the image of God had God made man. God values every life. Now, things have changed since then because Jesus took all the sin on himself and he died and resurrected so that we don't need to have that rule anymore. Um, but that's how seriously God values human life. There's also rules in the Old Testament about people caring and protecting the sick and the vulnerable and the elderly and the widowed and the poor. Every life has value. Now, our value is not based on our personalities or what we can do. It's solely based on the fact that we are created in God's image. Now, I had a look at Pete's study Bible while I was preparing this, and there was a really great line in it, and it said this, God doesn't measure the quality of a human being before he bestows his image. God doesn't measure the quality of a human being before he bestows his image. We haven't had to prove ourselves to God. He chose to create you. But God doesn't stop there. You're more than just a creation. You have a purpose. So Beth read this out in verse 16. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has a plan for you. You've been created for a reason. 
And in Jeremiah 29, 11, another well-known verse, it tells us that God has plans for us to prosper us and to give us hope and a future. And again, we're reminded of this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And in some translations, it says that we're God's masterpiece. So how do we know God's plan for us? Well, that's the adventure. It means trusting God daily and following him. And sometimes it can feel like God's plan isn't working. But I can assure you, it is. So last year, a few of us attended the uh, Elam Leaders Summit, which was in Harrogate. And uh, one of the speakers was this lady called Danielle Strickland. And uh, she's one of my personal favourite speakers. She goes all over the world and preaches about Jesus. She's written lots of books. Um, And she shared this story in one of her talks that really stuck with me. And so I've managed to find the clip. So I thought we'd watch that together. Conference a couple years back, and uh, you know, was speaking on the Friday night, and I, I got to the airport. I cleared customs, so I was in this like little section of the airport. And you ever have? I don't know if you travel much, but there are these moments in travel that are just so desperately terrible. And I remember going, literally going up to the gate and watching my plane back away. And you know, you're just like, well, miss that one. <laughs> They will not open that hatch. Like, you, you cannot run and jump on that. That's not a thing. So I called the conference, and I said, hey, I'm not going to make it. There's, the next plane is in four hours, so tonight you'll have to find a different speaker. And, you know, like, I'm, and we're all just like, oh, what a drag, what a drag. Four hours later, I get on this plane, and I sit down on the plane, and there's a, a guy beside me who looks like Tony Robbins. Do you know him? He's like, a, he's like you know, self-help guru. He's got shiny teeth. Uh, he's in like a thousand dollar suit. I'll never forget it actually because he had uh, wasabi flavored almonds. They changed my life. I mean, if you've never had those, those are incredible. But anyway, I digress. So he's sitting there and he looks at me. He's just like one of those guys that just like has it all together. He's obviously wealthy. He's obviously all these things. So I'm just like, ah, and I'm four hours in this silly little airport and I've missed my conference and I'm really, really ticked off. And I sit down and he turns to me with his big cheese smile and he says what do you do and those are when you're a a leader you know this these are questions that you have to discern you know sometimes I open with like well I speak or sometimes I open with well I write or sometimes I'm like it's none of your business (laughs) leave me alone did you not see my headphones like the universal sign I'm not interested in the conversation And this time, I really just wanted to shut that down quick. So I said, I fly around the world telling people about Jesus. That usually does it. (laughs) And this guy looks at me and he goes, oh, so does that make you an evangelist? I said, huh, it does. But how do you know that? He goes, well, funny enough, when I flew in here, I'm just here for the weekend on business. He said, I flew in here and I sat next to an evangelist. I I said to him, how long have you been running from God? (laughs) And he says to me, how did you know? (laughs) I said, buddy, this flight's costing me quite a bit (laughs) to be here right now. So can we just get this business done? (laughs) Give the evangelists a break. What is going on? You know, and he began to just disclose like I'm bankrupt. My fiance left me. 
My life is an absolute mess. I don't know how to get rid of the shame. I don't know how to get rid of the fear. I don't know. Out of him poured all of these needs and out of me poured the gospel. There's a way to start again. There's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to live for something more than money. There's a way to actually live that would give your life purpose that's beyond what you could imagine or dream or possibly ask. And he gave his life to Jesus. And I got a bag of wasabi almonds. <laughs> Woo! We're winning. I got off the plane and I was saying goodbye to him in the baggage uh, area. And he said to me, Danielle, I just need to tell you, you saved my life tonight. And I said, oh, come on. Jesus saves lives. You know what I mean? Like, it's Jesus. It's not me. And he goes, no, that's not what I meant. He said, tonight was the night I was going to take my own life. I had it planned, I had it sorted, but for you being on that plane. That is not the way I would have gone. He's not the guy I would have chosen. This is not the way I saw it happen. My priority was to get to the conference. My priority was to do the job that I had been asked to do, to speak to the thousands of people I was supposed to speak to that night. God's priority was the man. An amazing story. And it leads into the next part of the psalm, which is that we are loved. So who's got number four? Thank you, Deb. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So not only does God know us, never leave us, and he created us, God loves us. And it says here that he thinks about us, not just a few thoughts every now and again, but so many thoughts that it would outnumber the grains of sand. God loves you. And there's um, a verse in Romans 8, 38. It says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God put Daniel in that seat on the plane because he wanted to show that man his love. The man was ready to give up, but God wasn't. And it's a story that Jesus told, which you can find in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. And he explains that a shepherd had a hundred sheep. But one day he counts them and he realizes that one has gone missing. So what does he do? Well, some people may think, well, I've got 99 other ones. It's fine. Never mind. But not this shepherd. Instead, he goes out and he searches for the lost sheep until he finds it. And then he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back to be with the rest of the flock, rejoicing that he's found it. And this is what God does. He cares about us as individuals, no matter who we are or how lost we are. Thinking back to Danielle's story, yes, he did love the thousands of people that she was meant to be preaching to that night. But in that moment, he wanted to show that man who was lost and lonely that he loved him. Okay. We're on God's timing. Who's got number five? Sue, thank you. 
If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So I always thought this is a bit of a strange thing to slap in the middle of this psalm, um, because before that, we'd talked about God's love for us and his creation of us. Um, but here, David's actually showing his loyalty to God. He hates those who hate God. And this will have been similar to a pledge that David made when he was king, that he would have pledged to the nations that he was serving, that he was stating his loyalty, that he would hate their enemies. Um, and so it's interesting that he uses that same language here with God. And David, he wants God to punish these people who are against him now. But we're reminded here that everything is in God's timing. In Psalm 145, um, another one that David wrote, verses 8 to 9 say, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on Anyone know the end? All that he has made. He has compassion on all that he has made. God is also just and the ultimate judge. So where we might want him to judge people really quickly, he gives people opportunity and time to change. Okay, the final section is that we are a work in progress. He's got the final one. Thank you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you. Can we just give a round of applause to all the people that read this morning? Thank you. So this is really interesting because it mirrors the beginning of the psalm, doesn't it? And, but here, David is asking God to search and examine him. And it's interesting that, that David talks about God knowing his anxious thoughts. And again, we've had that this morning. Someone has said that there are people who are anxious. I'm, I'm quite anxious. I'm quite an anxious person. Um, but it's important that we don't hide it away. It's important that we are honest with God how we're feeling. We need to let God know our anxious thoughts. Now, God does know everything about us already. But he wants us to have a relationship with him, to have that connection with him. Where we go to him when things are going well and when they aren't going well. We go to him when we're feeling confident and when we're feeling anxious. We go to him when we're feeling fearful and when we're feeling joyful. And when we let God in to all of our life, the good, the bad and the ugly, it's then that we truly get to experience his love and his peace and his guidance. So I want to remind you this morning that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are known. You're not alone. You are created for a purpose. You are loved. You are in God's timing. And you are a work in progress. And I really felt when I was preparing this talk that there are some people here who have just been feeling quite inadequate or they've been feeling like they're, they're maybe even like the guy in the story, that they're feeling lost, they're feeling lonely, maybe feeling like they haven't got anything to offer, maybe struggling with their own self-esteem. And I just want to give an opportunity for us to pray with those people this morning. And we've already spoken about some other things to pray for too. But if that's you, 
just be real about it. Come and get some prayer. If you just feel like, you know, I, d- I don't know what I'm doing here and how can anyone love me or those things that might be going around in your mind. We want to remind you that God loves you this morning. And we're church, aren't we? We love each other. You're part of the family. And so if you want to grab someone next to you to pray for you, then do that. Or there's going to be some of us at the front as well. But let me just pray, maybe as the band comes up, as we uh, move into that time of ministry. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that, that you know us intimately. And you know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you that you created us for a purpose. You've got a plan, even if we don't know what it is. Thank you that you love us so much that you would get someone to miss a plane and sit next to us and tell us about Jesus. Lord, thank you that you see us and you know us. And I want to pray for anyone here who needs a reminding of that today. Anyone here who is lost. Anyone here who feels like they're not worth it. Lord, I want to pray that you'll come afresh right now into their lives. That you'll show them how much you love them. In Jesus' name. Amen.